Hi, you're listening to Kate and Catherine. And we're going to show you how to find your Prince Charming so that you can finally live happily ever after <laughs> forever and ever. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. We are definitely not going to do that. We are sick of that story and it's a lie. It is a lie. You're listening to The New Truth, a modern woman's guide to extraordinary love. We are going to show you how the fairy tale love story stops you from experiencing the love you truly desire. Listen to hear how to break free from sacrifice and struggle in relationship. And learn the new truth about love in a way that you've never heard it before. We're so happy you're here. Keep listening. Hello, hello, New Truth Podcast listeners. Kate and I are incredibly excited to share with you Anne Nguyen today. I met Anne at the beginning of 2020, before we all were locked down and in um, for several months. And I, from the moment I saw you, Anne, you radiate like delicious is actually the word I I think of and truly I felt like a little kid being like I want to learn how to be like her in the world Mm. like I want to (laughs) move through the world like her and it I am so grateful to have this platform with Kate we take very seriously the quality of women we bring on this podcast and we knew that you would be an epic fit to share how to heal toxic relationships through sexuality. So we have a very juicy topic today. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh my God. It is such, such a deep honor. And, you know, I have immediately felt all of your power as well when I met you and yeah, I'm ready to rock and roll. (laughs) So Anne is, has born and raised in California as a first-generation Vietnamese-American woman. Anne has lived her whole life following two main things, her curiosity and her urge to question everything with, but why? These mm-hmm. curiosities and questions have led her down a dynamic path from graduating with a bachelor's in science in neuroscience at the University of California, Santa Barbara, to working in various jobs in the tech industry at Google, Facebook, and YouTube. Most recently, she's trained at the Tantric Institute of Integrated Sexuality and is a women's sexual empowerment coach. Her work is in service to changing the way women relate to their pleasure and rewriting the narrative of sexuality in our modern times and creating safer spaces for women of color to pursue their healing and thriving. Through her coaching and online programs, she reconnects women to the power of their sexuality and facilitates deep transformation for sexual reclamation. Yum. 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 And I love this from Google, Facebook, and YouTube to women's sexual empowerment coach. Oh yeah. It's been a journey. (laughs) So we, we often start our interviews with a question that leads to the story of who you are, since everyone loves hearing women's stories, and that's what we love talking about. So the question is, tell us about one of the most pivotal and transformational moments of your life. I think one of the most pivotal and transformational moments was being 
sort of at a rock bottom, I guess, as a lot of people would describe their most transformational moments. Um, I was maybe 25 and really um, ending a string of uh, unhealthy relationships. Um, And this relationship was probably like the least unhealthy of them all Um, with someone who was genuinely a good person. We just weren't a good fit for one another. And it was a moment that made me realize that I had to really, really, really commit to a deep change and figure out why I had been living out a lot of the deep patterns that uh, kept me wounded in my life. And it was actually on a coaching call with our mutual teacher, Rachel Maddox. And it was the first time that she explained to me the concept of trauma, actually. And I would say it's one of the most transformational moments because I think that was a moment where I stopped identifying myself as being broken or that it was all my fault and realizing that uh, there was some space between me and the patterns that had really hurt me and that they were things that I could change that could be worked on. Um, I think it was like the the big moment of hope um, and, and having a different perspective on who I was and what the potential was for healing in my life. And yeah, I even like get a little teary, like just naming that moment. Um, cause it was so powerful. Um, and that frame has carried me through up until today. Can you describe your toxic relationship so you can take us on a bit of a journey of like how impactful that moment was? Yeah, yeah. So I think that, you know, uh, I guess a warning for people who have experienced uh, domestic abuse, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I really grew up, um, some of my first memories were of experiencing physical abuse in my household um, from Mm -hmm. uh, my father to my mom. Um, And so I think for ever I didn't realize how deeply that impacted me um, as a person because my mom left that relationship because of that when I was very young so luckily we were able to get separated and have space from that um, probably when I was like three or four Um, but that was really the formative uh, you know obviously the first formative view of relationship uh, that I had even if it was very very young and often before memory Um, And so as I got older, um, the first serious relationship that I got into was in high school. Um, And that was just extremely, extremely emotionally um, abusive um, and toxic uh, and went on for about three, three years, three and a half years, a long time for a a formative relationship during a very formative time. Um, It became uh physical uh, on a few instances but not anything like consistent um and that was uh quite difficult and then um the relationships that i had after that were really um always chasing the impossible relationship um not feeling good enough um going after the people who didn't want me or weren't ready to be in relationship with me or were like halfway ready. Um, And 
uh, were maintained a lot through uh, trying to grasp on to love uh, through my body and through sexuality, um, just as a means to get love and never for me. Um, and then, uh, you know, of course, anyone who dives deep into their relationship patterns, <laughs> very much repeating some of my mom's patterns, which were to um, get into relationships. My next big one um, was in my 20s. And um, being in that complex of being with someone that you feel like you had to save and take care of and do everything um, and all of that. And uh, because of my history, it was a deeply anxious attacher and my partner was extremely avoidant. And so it was just terrible on many fronts. And, you know, um, like I said, that was the relationship where I realized it wasn't just me, you know, like he was a genuinely good person with his trauma and I was a genuinely good person with my trauma and together we were not healthy. <laughs> um, but, um, but that was really like painful and torturous uh, because of all of those dynamics. And yeah, that was when I got to that moment of uh, the big transformation that I named um, after sort of going through, yeah, really painful ruptures um, and then sprinkled in there, of course, are like dating kind of the same MO and like those types of relationships as well. Um, and being in my early 20s, really dating from this perspective of like, I'm supposed to be really sexually liberated and have flings and all this stuff, but it never really feeling right. And so then therefore still trying to chase people I felt very unworthy of or that were just assholes to be honest <laughs> as we do <laughs> yeah oh my god there's so much the thing that I'm perked up about was hearing you say you know sex in order to get love and never for me Right. Like, I think if we're going to have this conversation about, you know, empowering empowerment and sexuality, I was someone who was unbelievably promiscuous mm. and thought and I wouldn't have told you I was doing it in order to get love, but I was very clear I was doing it for attention. Um, and that was the thing that was most important to me. And I feel like there's an important conversation around what and, and we'll probably get to it today, but the difference between like it never occurred to me to actually have pleasure physically mm -hmm. in my body. Like the pleasure was the emotional hit from the attention. Um, but I don't think I had an orgasm, <laughs> you know, for real, faked a lot of ones um, for a really long time and would have told you that I was deeply connected, you know, in partnership and it just was so powerful to hear you phrase it that way, right? Like, you know, and I'm sure so many women can identify. And then there's something that I'm finding among clients and friends in my life. Like, this is something we don't realize other women have done. You know, like we think we're the only ones who've used sex for attention and love and power. And it's like, oh, guess what? Every woman's in this dynamic somehow, thanks to patriarchy and thanks to the mm -hmm. cultural messages. Um, so I'm just really excited to have this conversation around toxic relationship because toxic, I mean, we could talk for two hours about what is toxic, but like toxic to your soul 
can be anything from the intensity of physical abuse, emotional abuse to any sacrifice of who you are in order to keep the relationship period is toxic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you named that last part because I think you put into words really beautifully something that I couldn't like necessarily articulate during that, but it, it was, I would say that is a big thing. Sacrificing all of who I was and Mm -hmm. giving my full self to, you know, desperately wanting love and for this relationship Mm -hmm. to work and complete self abandonment (laughs) was the name of the game. And that's the premise of this whole podcast is like learning how to uncover your own truth. That's the new truth rather than living this scripted life and, and this like trauma led life where we're, our patterns are running the show and, and we're making choices based on what we think we're supposed to do as opposed to who we really are and what we really desire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do relationship work without your childhood work period. (laughs) Like that's where, that's where it comes from. And really important. I'm watching all the making ourselves wrong for it. Like, oh, I should know better. It's like, no, you shouldn't. This is what was modeled to you. There's no education. And then worse, you have a collective wound that sets every woman on the planet up to be codependent and a self-sacrificer and, you know, to self-abandon because there are very few messages that say, oh, you can actually have what you want in relationship. You can take a stand for yourself. Like I think at the rebloom training i was the one that was like can we talk for a second about the fact that there is such a thing as a women's sexuality coach is freaking amazing (laughs) right now like that's already you know a huge deal let alone that we get to hire people like you and uh do this work so you have this awakening you have this epic conversation with rachel and then what happens Yeah, I think I spent a lot of the time working with her, Um, my relationship, I started working with her towards the end of my relationship and early on working together, my relationship ended. And so that time was really about, yeah, focusing on, I think it was really deep self-forgiveness, really deep Mm. self-compassion, really deep acknowledgement that the biggest source of my pain from, you know, 16 to 24, 25, um, wasn't, I mean, like their self-responsibility, but that it wasn't my fault. It wasn't like there was a core thing in me that was wrong. And so really that work was just deep self-forgiveness, deep self-love. And I think it was really, if I, if I really zoom out, it was almost like, a solid two years of claiming my own needs, that I could have needs, that those existed, that I could have standards for love and partnership and my life. But I think it was really a super deep rediscovery of myself and who I was and what I actually wanted and to feel brave enough to name what I actually needed and what I desired and learning how to say no and have boundaries, like really, really core, um, core work in that area. Um, and so I was dating during the time that we worked together too. And so it was like navigating the dating world, um, and really growing in my power in that way, learning through trial and error for sure. <laughs> um, 
and yeah just really healing a lot of trauma and I think on a really like body-based level Mm. um yeah so that was the work that I did with Rachel and then after a while you know all of those things were coming online it was really beautiful I think another really transformational moment I was trying to consider like which one of these (laughs) was um you know I had the first person that I met in my I was probably single for somewhere between two to three years and it wasn't maybe until like two years later that I actually found the first person that I genuinely clicked with and really liked and was into Um, and they were, you know, it felt very mutual and that person lived in LA and we were supposed to, I did the very vulnerable thing of being like, Hey, I actually am interested in you. And I'd be interested in pursuing this, even if you're in LA and we had even planned, picked a weekend that I would come down so we could spend more time together. And a couple days after making that plan, he was like, hey, this girl that I was dating before we started dating, she went away for a while. Now she's back. I'm going to give things a go with her. And it was the first moment where it was someone I really liked and it didn't work out. And I could hold myself and not mm. make it about me. And mm. I think that was like a huge, 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 huge moment. So if we're to think of all of the work mm. with Rachel, what it culminated in, it feels like that moment where mm-hmm. I could be like, okay, like blessings to you on your exploration with this person. And I am not spiraling down, feeling terrible about myself. I'm actually really holding myself with a lot of power and a lot of, you know, there was a little bit of the sassy, like, all right, you're missing out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that was, I mean, for that moment to happen was really powerful um that's so amazing I I just want to say something we we often speak to this idea of how rejection is not even a real thing like it's our our rejection is just our perception of what happened like he rejected me versus no you rejected yourself because of all the stories that you made it mean about yourself when he made that choice and how beautiful to hear this story and how like that's the moment where you get to decide and of course for women who haven't done the deeper healing, that is so necessary to have the tools and the self-awareness and the power within yourself to make that choice. But it is a choice. Mm-hmm. And I love how you articulated that. Yeah. It's like, well, I can't even remember the words you said, but it was so beautiful. Like I just, <laughs> I, I chose me, like you chose yourself in that moment. And, and I love that you said, bless you on your journey, because that's, that's the truth. We're all on our sovereign soul journeys, but the old paradigm of love, which we call it and the patriarchy is like we own each other and we like and everything is personal and and he didn't yeah it's so me. beautiful yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah the very, I very love that you story. shared this this moment is important for every woman to hear and yeah. and to give themselves permission to celebrate those moments too like I yeah. get those texts as a relationship coach all the time like I'm so proud of myself he didn't want to go out again and I don't care yes. like it's fine yeah. you know or like whoa, I just walked away from the guy who was clearly not available and made it clear Mm -hmm. on date one. Like we do need to celebrate those moments and most of all naming it as power. And that's what you just did. Like I stayed in my power. That's what that is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a pivotal moment that changes it all. And yeah, you know, I, I think a really big contributor and one of the 
I mean, there was like the deep trauma work, but one of the biggest things was that during that time was when I started doing my sensuality and pleasure and like more tapping into that side Mm -hmm. of me work as well. And that has been number one for me, the thing that has kept me grounded in my worth and in that power and in that expansiveness and in my desires and all of the tools that now, you know, have led me to a really beautiful and healthy (laughs) co-creative relationship. Um, But yeah, I think that not that we need those moments. I don't necessarily believe we need suffering in order to, you know, thrive and be amazing. But um, I see it as a really sacred moment on my path for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And were you in the, um, were you in Layla Martin's training at that time or it no. had that not started yet? It had not started yet. I was actually, I had just read Pussy by Regina mm-hmm. Thomas Howard, Mama Gina. <laughs> we <laughs> love that book too. <laughs> I give it to all my clients. Love it so much. Yeah. So it was even just that. It was even yeah. just reading that book. It was even just this idea that I could dress for myself, that I could turn on for myself, that I could use my turn on, I could use my feeling good as fuel. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I was really living into that. I was really, I was even just in the beginning phases of, you know, um, yeah, I get to, I get to wear what I want. I get to, I bought like a silk robe just for me. And I was like, what? Like it was a, yeah, it was a complete, um, change from making everything about everyone else's approval, mm-hmm. really deep shift of like, not just like radical self-approval, but like radical self pleasure in ev- in a very holistic way mentally emotionally spiritually physically all of those things mm-hmm. um so yeah it was really really beautiful <laughs> and then what happened <laughs> and so then I started to have this experience and then I did sign up for Layla Martin's Vita coaching training the year-long sex love and relationships coaching certification and that just changed my whole relationship to my body, to my sexuality, to my personal power. It was a really, really, really deep dive. Um, I feel like after I had set that foundation of doing a lot of the trauma healing, I was ready to go into the sensual and the sexual. And it was always there somehow. Like my when I started working with Rachel, my new way of being, like my biggest desired way of being was like the hedonistic sexual goddess. Like yes. it was- Yes. <laughs> Love that. And so, yeah, going down that journey and just realizing how deeply empowering uh, that was, um, it was like, I can't not teach this to other women is the feeling that I always describe of my relationship to this work. I just can't not like it would be a crime in my eyes and in my world to not go forth and teach it. And so, yeah, I actually started that training while I started dating my current partner. Um, And so that was really interesting as well. I think it was like our second date or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I got accepted into this program and I'm going to be a sex, love, and relationships coach. And I remember we were sitting across from each other at a restaurant. He looked at me and he's like, 
you just get better and better. (laughs) (laughs) How'd you meet? How'd you meet? Um, We had actually known each other for maybe six years. He was my best girlfriend's best guy friend and coworker. But we would only really see each other in group settings, usually social settings where we were like going out and partying. You know, again, we met when I was probably like, I don't know, 21 or something. (laughs) Um, And so and he was in a very long, committed relationship. And actually on our first date or our second date, I was embracing being fully me and dating on my terms and dating on my rules and like not being afraid. And it was totally a stretch. I had us do these questions from one of my favorite writers, Alexander Franzen. Mm. And the question was like, what was the first thing that you ever noticed about me? And we were again at a restaurant and I like couldn't speak because I was going to cry. I was like totally about to burst into tears and he was very patient with me again many great signs about him from the beginning um but the next day I told him that like what was bringing me to tears was the first thing that I noticed or about him was he was just a genuinely good man Mm. a really good solid human Mm. being and that was the opposite of everything I had ever been attracted to I was quintessential addicted to the bad boy mm-hmm. archetype um and so yeah it just I wanted to burst down to tears because I was like I can't believe I am here with you and attracted to you and doing this with someone like you mm-hmm. um and so yeah that was yeah that's how we met. Um, we kind of became single around the same time. Um, and then our friends sort of planted the seed and inception thing for me. <laughs> After seeing me spin my wheels to two and a half years of, again, going through my dating trials. <laughs> like, well, what about Kellen? I was like, what? Kellen? <laughs> um, and yeah, it was interesting because in a party setting we're quite opposite you know I'm lively um usually in the center (laughs) kind of moving the party keeping things going and he's very like sits back and hangs out and is really chill so he thought I was a little wild I thought he was a little boring (laughs) but then when we we actually you know sat down to talk to each other there was so much we had in common and it is a beautiful balance that we have (laughs) And I love. He thought I was wild. I thought he was boring. (laughs) A thousand percent. (laughs) The the snapshot, right? You have one second to decide who we think someone is, and then the gift of really getting to know someone. But most of all, and hearing you spend the time to get to know yourself. I mean, over and over again you as you were telling the story it's like I knew who I was I was dating from my roles my standards like I was in the I'm gonna be who I am and I want to highlight this because so many women and this was my case and this is the messaging of our culture is everything is about manipulating yourself and to be who we think he wants us to be or worse they keep everything hidden when brave love, courageous love, extraordinary love starts with you putting it all on the table out of the gate. 
Mm -hmm. right? Because of the things that you hide in the beginning of a relationship are exactly why the relationship ends later, right? Or the things that you hide in the beginning, if you keep hiding, you will never feel the depth of love and commitment and, you know, intimacy that you want because you're the one holding back, you know, and I've shared my story so many times. I I sat in a therapist's office with my ex being like, who do I have to be in order for Mm. this person to love me? You know, and then I'm, I was telling Kate earlier, actually, like I'm noticing in my marriage, like, whoa, it's, there's nothing to blame about Andrew. Like when I hold back, I'm the one holding back, you know, and I'm the one that has to do the work to then bring it forward and see what happens. And so over and over also, I'm hearing in your story, your commitment to yourself. And I do want to hear like, how did sexuality healing your sexuality, bring you into healthy relationship and what those daily practices and daily commitment actually looked like, because everyone wants the like flipped switch, you know, healing journey. And I think every person we've ever interviewed. And so we can't, you know, reiterate it enough. You know, you make a decision to be committed to yourself. You make a decision to live from the truth of who you are and your value. And then life will remove a whole bunch of people from your life sometimes, and then bring a whole bunch of wonderful people in but you have to be willing to make those decisions over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I teach this with my clients that I work with dating on. And I think it is the biggest thing is the relationship to my sexuality and the way that it healed my patterning around toxic relationship was that it really, it's like, creating all of this beautiful erotic alive turned on like some of the most high vibration energy you can possibly experience and realizing it is so possible to self-source it to Mm self-create it to use it for yourself first and foremost and then to have that experience of the way it just spills over into every single area of your life and I think a really big part of it too was, you know, I was always looking to gain my sexual worthiness, my love worthiness, my beauty worthiness, my sexiness worthiness, like especially these things around sexuality, which have a lot to do with the physical and, you know, how you present yourself and your power really um, was always dependent on a relationship or how they would receive me or this underlying belief that my partner would activate that within me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a big narrative that women especially have. Like he brings it out of me. Oh, I'm only this way in this type of relationship or whatever. And when I started going into sacred self-pleasure and having regular pleasure and generating that for myself, like I had the best sex of my entire life with myself. And I think that was another mm-hmm. pivotal transformational moment where I was like, oh my God, I can blow my own mind. I can <laughs> really like contact the divine through my own orgasm. I can do this and it's only for me. And if I choose to bring that energy into dating or into whatever I want to create, cool. But the amount of self-responsibility and also just power, like you realize you are a power source in in of yourself, um, it makes it, it's almost like so natural, like everything recalibrates around you where it's like, oh, wow, this is like the level of who I am. Like, I'm only going to take the things that match and feed that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But also I think like part of it, because I was doing this while I was in relationship with my partner, I realized the more that I took responsibility for my pleasure and my sexuality, the more I activated this archetype that actually Layla talks about um, often is the initiatress. And it is, you know, the, the woman who really owns and does her own work and her, her own juiciness, filling herself with her own aliveness that then initiates those in her life into, you know, following or, or rising or showing up in that way too. And I've seen that over and over and over again in my relationship with my partner because I was doing this work while we were together and creating our relationship I put myself out on that line to be like, okay, like, can we do these communication practices? Can we do these things? Like, can I, you know, learning how to advocate for myself and yeah, it's just been everything. And I think that it continues to be everything, even in a committed long-term relationship. Every time I'm doing my pleasure practices or focusing more on my sexuality, the more desire I have, the more turned on I am for him, the more turned on I am for me and for my life. And, you know, it really keeps, I think it really is a huge antidote to uh, deep codependency. Um, if we yes. put it that way. Yes. So. Yes. It's like it, it, this is radical responsibility is the, is the key to code to breaking codependency. Absolutely. You know, it's so cool. Cause we just interviewed my friend Kylie a couple episodes ago and her partner and we, and her, they were on the last episode and we talked a lot. I mean, the episode was called from codependency to liberated love. Mm. And it was about breaking free from all the codependent patterns. And it's like the only way to break free is to take a hundred percent ownership for everything that we feel our pleasure, our pain, like the old paradigm of love keeps us so disempowered in relationships. And we think in the beginning, it's all him. He's giving us all these good feelings. And then as soon as the good feelings go away, it's like, oh, he doesn't desire me anymore. He's not attracted to me. He's not right for me. And we just blame him for the pleasure and for the pain, as opposed to realizing like that was all you. It's all you. This story is unbelievable. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. And, you know, I do always like to caveat you know, taking really deep self-responsibility helps with interdependence, right? Um, because I think that sometimes people can take that and be uh, hyper self-sufficient. Like, yeah. I, I own everything. And so, you know, taking away the expectation or sort of using it as a crutch for someone who isn't showing up. Yes. But what I've, but I think like a healthy way to relate to it and what I've seen is almost like, when you are living so deeply in your pleasure and in your sensual nature, which is really innocent, really beautiful, and especially when it's your authentic sensual yeah. nature, right? Yeah. Which is yeah. another really big piece. It's not this, um, it's not this painted picture of like a vixen in black lingerie or anything like that. The way that I relate to sensuality and sexuality is, you know, through through every moment of your life being yes, connected yes. to pleasure and yeah. everything that you do. Um, and it almost, but it more creates a field of energy. I feel like around you yes. to then naturally be able to feel the bounds of like, is this person meeting me or not? Because there is that other part of yes, having someone who can like 
hold and cherish and celebrate all of that so not like yeah. overcompensating all of your work but um, yes but yeah I love it so beautiful so do you have any pleasure practices that you can share that um that the women listening could start doing right away yeah I think one of the easiest and simplest ones is um really starting to have a practice of self-pleasure that's for you and for honoring yourself and so it's actually the first practice that I ever did and it was waking up each morning and I would light a candle because that was like my first doable step and it kind of sets the mood and the space and just putting on one song you know keep it small and doable and just to really slowly touch your own skin, your mm-hmm. own body, as if you're your own best lover. Mm-hmm. Like if you could create the most dream sexual partner, sensual lover ever, touching yourself as if you are that person. And yeah. y'all can't see me on the camera, but it's even mm-hmm. just slowly touching your own arm. Like I started just giving myself kisses and when I first started doing this practice I just sobbed I sobbed through like the first week of it because I realized how I'd never ever ever done that for myself in my entire life and so just one song moving dancing slowly touching your own skin I actually would slowly put on a very luscious lotion Mm. and the reason being like I had just never been able to slow down and just Mm. feel that my own touch my own care and so that can be a sensual sacred self-pleasure type of practice and you don't even have to touch your genitals or go there but you can and I think also to yeah, like my definition of self-pleasure is giving yourself pleasure in many forms. It doesn't necessarily have to be sexual. Yes, so I, I love that. Huge, yeah, there's such a huge component of um, pleasure and sensuality and sexuality, but not necessarily having to be explicitly sexual. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, I feel like sensuality and sexuality can cross over, but sensuality to me, and this is part of the work that I do with my clients is, um, is about like having a new relationship with your inner experience, because mm-hmm. most of us, mo- I mean, most women I work with, but most women in the Western world are in that go, 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 do, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle mode that they're so disassociated from their body and their pleasure and their experiences. So they could be having, you know, a Michelin three-star <laughs> thousand dollar meal and not even get to fully experience it because they're so disconnected from Mm -hmm. their pleasure and their inner world. So that is such a simple, beautiful practice. I love that so much. And, um, and yeah, just giving women permission. It's so wild how we don't, nobody teaches us to touch ourselves. In fact, most of us got shut down from touching ourselves in any way when we were kids and because of our parents' repression, and got all these, you know, mixed messages about it. And so most of us don't even, I mean, I didn't masturbate till I was 27 years old. I had like major shame around masturbation. I thought it was wrong and weird and bad. And then once I broke free from that, um, I hosted a sex toy party. I actually was in a counselor's training program and I, um, 
they gave you an alter ego. Actually, Catherine, I don't think I've even told you this story. We were assigned an alter ego for the weekend to embody a part of us that was really repressed. And for me, like I was very sexually shut down and I was very much a little girl um, in a woman's body. And I got assigned to play um, Mrs. Fokker from Meet the Fockers. The, oh, yes. Uh, from Meet the Fockers. Yes. And it oh, was Barbara the Streisand. <laughs> the best. Oh, my gosh. So I channeled Barbara Streisand's character. She was like, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, she was a sex um, coach for older or sex therapist for older people. And she led these workshops. And so I had to lead a workshop in front of 50 people about sexuality when I was I literally was so sexually repressed and had a massive fear of public speaking at the time. And so but it was that experience I did. I felt like I channeled her like I fully felt like I was her and it was so pivotal. And then I hosted the sex toy party with all my friends from my program and and it like really broke free. And right now I'm playing with the, um, I have a, I have a jade egg, but I'm playing with the crystal dildo now and like experiencing that. And, and like, it's such a, it's a never ending rabbit hole of self-discovery and places that you can go. But most of us have so much shame, like, and disconnection from even touching ourselves, like even massaging ourselves. I think like, you know, I'll be like, oh, I have sore feet. I wish someone was here to rub my feet. And like, oh wait, I could rub my own feet. Like, we don't even think to touch ourselves in any way. And that's because most women are still so disassociated from their own bodies, yet our bodies and our pleasure and everything you're talking about, that's our superpower. Right. Um, yeah. I, I love that you shared that practice. And I was thinking as I was listening to you, um, I would play, I have, there's lots of feelings about Miley Cyrus, but Miley Cyrus's song, Adore You, I literally would put that song on. And for me, I wanted more than anything to be adored by my partner. And I spent months just listening to that song and dancing in my underwear in my room and touching myself and learning and sending that energy to adoring myself and literally being like, what would that be like? And I, I've had to do a lot of forgiveness work too, because even when I think about it, I still have a little bit of a reaction about how I would let total strangers touch me, but I refused to mm. touch myself mm -hmm. and would expect them to know how to pleasure me when I had no idea what actually felt good for myself. And what a trap, right? Make sure women are dependent on men. Don't tell women that they can self-source because then we can have a whole billion dollar beauty industry and, you know, billion dollar engagement ring industry and making sure women don't have their power. And I think that's a really important aspect of this because the self-sourcing, you know, I do t tremendous, you know, childhood work. Like that's the core of my work. You have to address addressing the inner child is becoming the healthy parent, mm -hmm. right? Like that is the self-source. You don't have to go find, you know, a perfect partner to do your work for you and you get to have friends. You know, that's, that's something that moved me the most about Rachel Maddox, who we'll have to have on this podcast too. But Rachel was one of the first people in my life that I actually saw her get her needs met in a collective and community sourced 
way, right? Because we have to be careful here on like, yes, you can self-source, but Kate too. I mean, Kate has so many girlfriends and like, I I have girlfriends, but not in the way that I've watched Kate and watched Rachel. And that's something I, I dream about having a business the way Rachel has her business, which is like many, many people. And I wonder if we can talk about that because you know, you mentioned it too about healthy relationship. Healthy relationship isn't you get all your, you do your, your, all your needs yourself. You know, healthy relationship is we each have communities of support, you know, around us, but I feel like I went, I went, I took the, the touching yourself on a whole other tangent uh-huh. here. Well, but- well, one thing Anne did speak to was that, um, was the inter- interdependence, which I love. Cause it's not just cause also women can hide behind. Okay. I'll just do it myself then, yes. you know, or it's either, Oh, I need a guy for it or I'll do it myself versus the healthy place in the middle, which is self and other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one, I'm so inspired by both of you. <laughs> like, yes. Oh my gosh. And wow, Mrs. Fokker. Like, what a- <laughs> <laughs> I love like, that I so love, much. Yeah. I love identity play and like archetype play and things like that. Um, and so I'm just like deeply honoring both of you for all of the work that you've done to now, you know, be these inspiring leaders and all of that. Mm. Just like every time I hear stories of women's reclamation, I just always, I'm like sacred pause, like need to honor you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think uh, Catherine, you were talking about community and how this relates and yeah, you know, I think that so much of our sexuality also without us realizing it, has to do with our relationships with other women, uh, feeling like we belong as women, feeling like enough as a woman. Um, And so I'm really glad that you brought up that community piece because I think that um, that deeply impacts the way that we feel about ourselves sexually. Comparison, feeling like we have to live up to a certain archetype. I think all of us has always had at least that one friend who was very sexually adventurous and um, felt very sexually liberated and free um, that either you were that friend or like it freaked you out or you were like, oh my God, there must be something wrong with me because she's got it somehow. (laughs) Um, That was definitely like how I was. And then I was kind of in the middle. I was like trying to pretend to be that friend, Mm. but not really being that friend. And then, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, like your friends that like just uh, cannot talk about sexuality at all, which is so understandable, of course. And that is one of the biggest things. We do need community. We need to be able to talk about it and to normalize it just like anything else in the world that is such a big part of releasing shame because shame happens. I said this in one of my group coaching calls recently. Shame happens when you think that what's happening to you or your reaction is personal Mm. or that it's because of you or only you. Shame happens in isolation is something that Rachel says. Mm -hmm. And when it's so incredible, when I lead my group programs or even lead group workshops, just being in a space where someone can admit, you know, I feel pain during sex or I feel numbness or I don't actually really like self-pleasure. Penetration scares the crap out of me. Um, The just big exhale from knowing you're not alone in that is really, really powerful. And 
that is why I love teaching and doing um, my courses, mainly in groups. I work with one-on-one clients as well. But even then, there's community between the two of us, right? Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that's one of my biggest missions is to empower. And I always talk about this to my clients. I see them as the ripple effect. I know that them claiming themselves, they're going to enter into their relationships with um, their girlfriends differently and, you know, Mm -hmm. on and on and on it goes Mm -hmm. till we change the whole thing. Yes. 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 Till the patriarchy (laughs) shatters. And the old paradigm of love becomes non-existent because I just keep, you know, I, I, I'm still working through the ultra independence you know, dynamic and being the healer and helper for everybody else. And I pay for a lot of support, but it's very hard for me to ask for help and trust the, my friends who are willingly need, want to do that and show up for me in that way. I'm, I'm still, you know, working on that. And, and it just bringing into the energy of like, this is a journey, you know, like, even as I hear myself, I'm like, God, yeah, I did dance in my room singing the Miley Cyrus adore me song or adore you song. And And, you know, I I went to Hawaii before I met Andrew and my heart wrote a love song to myself. And I think this it's a spiritual journey. You know, reclaiming your sexuality is a spiritual journey. Reclaiming your body is a spiritual journey and giving permission to let it be all those small doable moments. And also like you have to decide. You know, like, I love that you said it about your, you know, end to the toxic relationship. Like I showed up in a a relationship coach's office and was like, I refuse to be a love addict anymore. Like I'm done. I want to heal this. I don't want to live like this anymore. And I imagine, and that's the truth of all of our clients. I'm sure anyone who enters into our programs, like you have to make that decision. No one can do it for you because codependency still exists in coach and client uh, dynamics very much. So, um, and it's the remembrance of you decide you know, and you let yourself be guided, but you meet yourself where you're at and you decide every single day, how will I approve of myself today? How will I be the validation that I'm seeking? And how will I forgive myself for all the choice, all the choices I've made in the past or all of the places where I've abandoned myself? You know, I love that you right out of the gate brought that through because there is no self-love without self-forgiveness or self-compassion. Like it is a big system we are working against on a daily basis, a really big one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what I like part of that, like to piggyback off of that is that's the reason why I love sexuality and pleasure and all of that work so much is because I think that for people like us, (laughs) former love addicts or whatnot, um, there is a lot to dig up. It can be a really painful, it can be a very um, confronting journey. And when I learned about pleasure and I learned about sexuality, it was that piece that taught me healing can also be through goodness, through seeking. (laughs) I feel like that's like a snap, like right of poetry reading. (laughs) Yes. No, like, and I think that is a huge piece of what's often missing the way that I talk about it. Um, I actually have like four P's, four pillars of, um, 
pleasure for uh, for empowerment that I teach. And so there's a path of purification, which I feel like we often talk about, right? Healing our traumas, um, all of those things. But then there's also, also the path of pleasure. Mm-hmm. And actually being able to walk both at the same time, I think is something that um, isn't as common in the personal development and healing world when really, you know, why are we purifying so that we can have pleasure? And I think doing both at the same time also helps to counteract the story that like, I have to be fully fixed first in Mm -hmm. order to be good. It's like, I get to do both at the same time and they actually amplify and feed each other, right? The more you purify, the more you make room for pleasure, the more you create room for pleasure, the more capacity you have to heal different things, right? As I continue to grow in my sexuality, as I continue to grow in my relationship now, as the capacity builds, sometimes we hit that trauma pocket. Sometimes we hit that another level of things that my body and myself wasn't able to integrate because I didn't have enough goodness in my system to hold it. And so it's actually a really, really important component, I think, that... um, that anyone listening should consider adding yes. to your repertoire. <laughs> I am so happy you said that because I I first began my inner child work with a therapist. And so I was in the depth, I was in pain constantly. I don't even know how I functioned actually still to this day. Um, and that work saved my life. But then it was finding the relationship coach that introduced the work that I do now where I was like, oh, okay, this can be light. This can be fun. I can live in balance and harmony. And yeah, the healthy parent, you know, I, Andrew, don't ask me why my husband's reading, you know, um, conscious parenting books. We are not pregnant. We're not having a baby anytime soon, but it's moving him to read those books. And there was a question in the book where it was like, if there was one quality you could embody as a parent, you know, what would it be? And to, to start practicing embodying it now. And mm-hmm. when he asked me that, I realized that I had actually never seen my mom happy. Mm-hmm. Like very rarely was my mom like dancing in the kitchen or joyful or buying herself new clothes. Like we joke actually that my mom never bought herself new clothes for like my entire life. And that it came so fast. Like I want to be a happy mom. You know, like I want to be a joyful mom. And it was like, okay, start right now. And all of this, like we think we'll be turned on when we have the partner. We'll feel worthy when we have the partner. We'll feel beautiful when we have the partner. When actually you just set yourself up for another prison, you get the partner, but now they're the one holding the key to a door that's not locked, right? Like the power is in you. And that is everything the new truth stands for. And shining a light on all the systems that have kept so many of us stuck because women are not the problem right? But you are the solution. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I think the message today and that you're, you shared is like your pleasure is the solution. Like you turning yourself on is the solution and then letting your life be in service to that. That's a very different way of living than mm-hmm. what most of us are, are used to. Everything is, you know, Kate, you bring this in all the time too. Everything is external first, right? Mm-hmm. Like we live outside in rather than inside out. And that's the the core of our mission. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I resonate with that so deeply. <laughs> so any last wisdom that you want to share for all of the women listening to this epic episode? Uh, I think one that I love to, I am both 
extremely emotional and spiritual, but practical. Um, and so I think maybe just leaving them with another practice, another rule that I often teach, which is called my 5% pleasure rule. Mm -hmm. And this is such a good way to start leaning into that practice of pleasure in a very doable way. And the 5% pleasure rule is really just asking yourself in every moment, how can I make this just 5% more pleasurable? Mm. Can you light a candle even if you're eating your takeout dinner? Can you put on a song that brings you joy while you're washing the dishes? And this is when you start to see how that pleasure, how that erotic, that sensual can be activated in every single moment. It's really about turning our attention towards it. And it's a really beautiful question to even just start to lean into to be like, oh, how can I prioritize what makes me feel good and what's delightful in life? And it's pretty amazing the the ripple effect, the snowball effect that that can have. Um, so I want to leave them with that, leave all of you with that. Um, let that question be your guide for a week or two and see what emerges um mm. and and how things change and how they might shift for you even just in that little five percent i love that so much Perfect. oh my gosh and my favorite thing you said today was my new way of being is a hedonistic sexual goddess yes. I'm like, I'm, i wrote that down and i'm like i'm gonna take that on <laughs> Yeah. So good. <laughs> I always find that truths and the pieces resonate the most that are very active within me. <laughs> so I'm excited to see where that goes. <laughs> yeah, what a beautiful episode. Oh my gosh, so many things you said were so powerful and potent. And I love the simplicity of the exercises. It's like, you can do this. Mm -hmm. You can do this. Anyone can do this. Yes. Anyone, yeah. ever, if, if the three of us could do what we've yes. done, yes, anyone can do it. That's what I always yeah. say too. So thanks yeah, for that absolutely. reminder, Kate. And you are worthy of the support and help because what is also true with each of our stories is each of us had support yeah. and help and, and had guides and we weren't <laughs> trying to do it all alone. And I am so, so happy to have you today. So grateful. And if you loved this episode, please share with your friends. Please let us know. Join us in the New Truth Movement Facebook group. And and how can people find you? Where's the best place for your, them to receive your wisdom and work? So Instagram currently is the best way. So Instagram.com slash the Ann Wynn. T-H-E-A-N-N-N-G-U-Y-E-N. -E <laughs> <laughs> um, and my website is also theannwin.com. And coming soon, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have a YouTube channel. So um, come catch up with me there and you'll get all the updates. Amazing. Awesome. Thank, you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for thank having me so much, Jen. <laughs> that was so fun.